Hey everybody, it's Lance Avery Morgan and Rob Giardinelli with our special guest, Jill Louise Skinner, also known as Free Dinner Skinner. <laughs> and full disclosure, she is our BFF, so there's no getting around that. Well, I don't want to get around that, so no, that's fantastic. Walk through the light, absolutely. We know the reason we're talking with Jill today, are, well, there are many reasons, but one thing that we, when choosing Jill to be a guest tonight, is that we realize that success at every level takes style, and Jill lives her life with great style. She's had great style in her careers, and she's had a lot of fun, and I've known her through most of your working life, most of your adult life. And most of my style changes. And more, most of your style changes. Right. My style transformations, let's say. That's right. That's right. I like that. The evolution of Jill. Right. Absolutely. And um, so, well, thank you for joining us tonight, Jill. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, let's just jump on in into Lake Jill. Tell us how you got started in your career, kind of at the very beginning. Whew, that goes back a while. Five, ten years tops. Yeah. Um, Almost a decade. According to the press release, right? According to the press release, it started in about 2005. (laughs) Um, No, I'll tell you, um, graduating from the University of Texas, I was communications major there and wasn't quite sure which direction I wanted to go. Who is? No one is. Well, I mean, you know, there are some people that are. Yeah, they go to med school. We don't. They know go to those, med. They go to med school and they go to law school. <laughs> yeah, we don't right? know those people. We never knew those people. Those people who don't have any clue go to school of communications. That's right. Which is where I went. And yeah. I did the exact same thing. So you know, we're we're communication BFFs as well. That's oh, right. that's great! And here we are communicating. So <laughs> it paid off. Truly, what are the chances? What are the chances? So what? Um, what made you decide LA then? If you were, you know, after college, trying to figure out what you were wanting to do. You know, it was a really um, kind of a little bit of a kooky story, but my senior year at UT, my roommate and dear friend Judy and I went out to visit another dear friend, Teresa. Um, She was living out in LA and we thought, okay, let's go out and check it out for spring break. So we go out (laughs) and the rest is history. (laughs) No, And fun was had, I think. We go out there and and, and what I remember of it, it was really, really fun. Um, But I will tell you one particular evening, uh, Judy and I ended up at the comedy, is it the comedy store? Comedy store, yeah. Comedy store up on Sunset Strip. So we ended up in there because, of course, it's a tourist spot and, and, you know, we had heard all these great things about it. So we go in there and, okay, we've had a few cocktails and we thought we were pretty funny carting people to go into the women and men's restrooms. Just like home. (laughs) Just like at home, yeah. So um, we were carrying on and ended up meeting um, a couple people. A couple of successful people. Uh, Well, a couple of very successful people in the industry who kind of got a kick out of us and invited us to sit at their table and bought us a drink as if we needed another. A drink or a dozen. Right. And one of these guys actually, um, and I had started talking about, you know, what I wanted to do. And I was thinking, you know, I got to move out here. I knew right then, I knew before then, and my dear friend Teresa was out there. So I knew I wanted to move out to LA. It just was kind of a question of what I wanted to do. Um, But I was always really into music, um, particularly in the 70s and the 80s. Um, This was the 80s. So I was really into music. I actually even auditioned to be an MTV VJ at one point. Again, who did? Oh, you did? Who didn't? Who didn't? Well, lots of people didn't. Yeah, lots of people. So, well, tell us about your audition. They held it at the School of Communications at UT. And, of course, I thought, oh, well, you know, I was just there and I saw what they were doing. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go do this. 
So, you know, you had to kind of go make a fool of yourself and they ask you to do all these kooky things. And so I did sober, mm-hmm. which was good. Yeah. <laughs> although was I that probably, your only although sober I didn't, audition? I didn't get the, I didn't, I didn't ever become an MTV VJ. So maybe if I'd had a couple cocktails, I would have. Thanks I don't to that know. footnote because yeah. everyone would have thought that you did become one. So, well, you know, I, so um, I did get a call back though. Okay. I did get That's a call back. Talk, and apparently people. they put people's auditions on one of the cable channels. <laughs> oh, no way. Oh yeah. So well, I, I had people. I saw it locally. It was just local okay. thing. And so I saw people. Like I'd run into people and they'd be like, I saw your MTV audition. Oh, crud. Yeah. You know, can I swear on this or sure, not? Okay. Sure. Oh, crud crap. is about as crap. About, about as <laughs> shit. Oh, shit. No, 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 because no. I don't want anybody to see that. No, crud or crap. I can do crud that. Crud is fine. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, that was just kind of a funny thing. And I thought, oh my God, how great would it be to be an MTV VJ? Because, you know, back then, that's all we did was sit up all night and watch MTV videos. Yeah. So, you know. Fast forward again to uh, spring break. So this guy that I'd met had um, recommended that I meet a friend of his whose father ran Capitol Records. And I thought, oh, my God, to go work at a record label, how cool would that be? And I, mm-hmm. to be honest, I didn't really even know about the opportunities that were offered at a record label or, you know, basically the infrastructure of a record industry because they didn't have that here. Yeah, and we didn't even know that going to school. There was, at the communication school, there just wasn't that sort of program like there is now for kids, getting out of school and doing internships and have these really great paid positions. And there's even Texas LA Week or summer or something. I don't know what it is, yeah. but they really help these kids adjust. And we had nothing like that back nothing. in the day. We just nothing. went just out wing it. with $300 in our pockets and yeah. a lot of dreams. And a lot of dreams. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, you know, I, I had a conversation with this guy and, and, um, he introduced me to a very well-known publicist in the record industry. And she connected me with a bunch of different, uh, uh, record labels. I submitted my resume, called them and begged. I basically begged for an internship. Can I come work for you for free? Like they're like, <laughs> yeah, of course you can because, you know, why not? To go work for free? Yeah, why not? Sure. So I did that. I went and worked at MCA Records when I moved out there, <clears throat> and I, I I packed my bags two days after I graduated UT. My car was packed. I had a little RX seven fondly known of as as the Del Monte tin can on wheels and speaking of tin cans I think I had a dollar a hundred dollars in a tin can mm-hmm. in my car along with a butter knife for protection under the seat <laughs> did when you my, have to use that butter knife? all of those would come in handy <clears throat> yeah when my one of my best friends Linda and I drove out to LA and I, I moved out there two days after college and went to work you know two days later at MCA records um as an intern so when you started in the record industry how did your style and your clothing style moving from Austin to LA how did that evolve while you were in the record in the music industry that's a really really funny question because (laughs) you have no idea how funny that is right so again you know I'm gonna date myself it's just the way it is but this was the 80s I was growing a perm out (laughs) oh all right so let's talk about that style unwanted perm I think well at the time it was wanted yeah but what was it, that it, during it, the Whitney? I want to dance with somebody yes, big. Of course, got of it. Course. Okay. And bangs okay. I mean, everybody and, had, had the, big, the big wave bangs yeah. and you know all the curls. And to this day, my mother's like, "Why don't you get a perm? <laughs> why don't you get bangs too? Why?" She's like, "Why is your hair so straight?" Well, because I have straight hair, and it's straight because it's, it's not God's will, really, for you to have curly for me to hair have anymore. Curly hair, apparently. Uh-uh. Um, I don't think God enjoyed the perm. 
any more than I did. Oh, so anyways, I was growing the perm out. I don't know what that has to do with anything. But I showed up the first day at MCA Records wearing a little dress and little flat, you know, shoes. Very conservative, right? I wasn't necessarily a conservative dresser. But of course, you know, coming from here and going through, you know, uh, your, you know, at UT, they prep you for job interviews and all of that. And they're like, just make sure you dress professionally. So I was kind of stuck between, okay, I'm not going to wear a suit because this is the music industry and I know nobody wears suits. Right. And you didn't have a suit. And I didn't have a suit. <laughs> well, no, I probably did have a suit for you interviewing have, yeah. at the time. Yeah. Um, but I can't go looking tacky. So I'll just wear this cute little dress, little flouncy dress with little flat shoes, <clears throat> of which, by the way, are back in style now. The whole ballet slipper shoes, they mm-hmm. were kind of like that. Okay. Which you'll never catch me dead in um, today. Um, and I remember the first thing my supervisor had said to me was, she grabs my hand. Her name was Janie Hoffman and she was just brilliant. I love this woman. And she says, honey, you look adorable. No more dresses. <laughs> it was rock okay. and roll. Welcome to rock and roll people. But so from then on, I mean, I would wear like, you know, mini skirts and t-shirts and booty shoes. And, but you, you know, did that here. The things. funny thing is well, that you I did, did that, that here and you thought it wouldn't work there. Well, I just thought I needed to be professional showing yeah. up on my first day. Right. And no one. Right. And nobody else dresses was, professionally. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, you when you see people on the streets that have long hair and it's, it's, you know, again, it's a little different now just because there's much, much more of it and tattoos are not, I mean, they're more, you know, mainstream than mm-hmm. they were before, True. but you know, when you'd see somebody with, you know, tatted up head to toe and long hair and skinny black jeans, you're like, where in the world does somebody like that work? Well, they work at the record labels and, and you the know, music industry. I, I, I wanted to bring up. It, it's really interesting that you walked in the first day and they essentially said no more dresses. You weren't being yourself. You came in the next day with clothing that was yourself and right. you fit right in. So yeah. that really, you know, yeah. goes to say that, you know, when anyone is really starting a profession at a job, authenticity is really important because people can really see if you're either, you know, you're putting on a face that may not necessarily be your authentic mm-hmm. self from a style perspective. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, yeah. you know, and a, a little bit of research probably would have benefited me too. So, <laughs> but, you, but you didn't know from Buckus. No one did. And right. this was right. before the, you know, the internet and any, right. And, and anything where you could actually get information easily. I mean, how would have you researched something like, like what to wear to work back then outside of just, you know, your professors or your teachers or your career counselors in college saying, you know, you need to dress this way. Right, right. And I remember, too, this this woman, Janie, she told me um, that same day, she, uh, I've got to remember, she used to lecture at some of the, the classes at UCLA. And she had told the students during one of her lectures that, um, you know, she chose a profession that she could wear jeans and T-shirts and you know, the guys don't wear ties and, you know, all of that kind of thing. So somebody that had applied for a, a position with her had sent her his resume along with a cut-up tie in the envelope. That's perfect. Pretty, wow. Yeah. 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 You got to have a gimmick. Yeah. What's interesting <clears throat> is that, you know, with your own style, that kind of led you to the next phase of your career, going from internship to paid employee, employee in the record business, Right. Right. Tell us about that. Right. Okay. So as an intern, my desk was located outside the private elevator where the chairman and the president and their office staff would come up every day. And being from Texas, you know, we're friendly. 
It's just how we are. Yeah. And there was this one woman, her name's Susan Markheim, and um, she was really cute, and she would come up the elevator, and she always had on, like, really cute jeans with a little cute jacket or something, right? Something kind of funky, but just really cute, and I just thought she was adorable. So every time she'd come up on the elevator, and I'd see her, I'd go, good morning, and everybody just looked at me like I was out of my mind, right? Like, you're not supposed to talk to the chairman. You're not supposed to, you know, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, but Susan had noticed me because she'd come up from the elevator and I'd go, good morning, you look so cute. Or I'd say whatever, you know, and I was sincere Genuine, because yeah. I truly, you know, meant it. So about six months after that, um, I was called into the HR director's office. And I thought, oh, they're going to let me go because they can't pay me my $250 a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That I was living on. Um and as soon as I went in and I sat down and I was chatting with Liz, Susan walked in and I thought, oh, I mean, and everybody was terrified of Susan. So I just stood up immediately and I said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I can come back. Susan's like, no, no, you're the reason that I'm here. Go ahead and sit down. And she asked me if I wanted to come be an assistant to the chairman, Irving Azoff. And I thought, okay... You know, and it was a little scary. It was quite intimidating. Um, it's a pretty grown-up job. I said, yeah, it was yeah. a pretty grown-up job. For somebody who's really green, A, green to L.A., and mm-hmm. really green when it comes to the music industry, I didn't really know. I mean, I know who the, the musicians are and the artists are, but I didn't know who the big wigs executive-wise were in the industry. So that was a little challenging. So I thought, all right, I'll, I'll give it a try. And uh, I, I tried it out for 12 years. <laughs> so it, so. It, it went fairly well then. <laughs> it went well. It was a struggle at first because I remember Lance and I were roommates. And if we you'll sure recall, were. I would go home crying almost every single I night. I remember that very well. it was well. so stressful. And I would get yelled at on the phone because I didn't know, you know, Don Henley called and he would say, hey, it's Don. And I didn't know it was Don Henley. And I would ask for his last name. And that doesn't go over very well in the industry. Um, I mean, I could name a bunch of other people that would call and and I'd ask what their last names were. And, you know, they'd give me an earful. But then Irving, who was always so gracious, would always say, hey, be nice to her. She's new. She's from Texas. And even, you know, for Don Henley, he was from Texas. So he'd get back on the phone with me and say, Oh, so where from Texas are you from? And, you know, we'd talk about it. And, and, you know, from then on, it was fine. But it was really stressful. Yeah, that was, I mean, what's funny is that you would cry on your way home. And you had a 30-minute commute. So there was a lot of crying. Oh, yeah. Over the hill to where we lived in Beverly Hills adjacent. Yeah. Right? You know, and actually, I'd walked in one day and I was going to quit. And I walked into Irving's office and I sat down and I said, I'm just not sure this position's for me. And he goes, well, what are you hoping to do? And I said, well, I was interning in the publicity department and I'd really like to do that. And he said, well, you can't tell anybody at this point, but it looks like I'm going to be leaving MCA to start my own venture, my own record label. And if you'll just stick with me until I do that, maybe we can find you a position doing that at the new label. And so I stayed for 12 years. And what's interesting is that, you know, Irving knows good talent. He has launched just dozens and dozens, probably hundreds over his career of amazing talent. And he also, you know, encircled himself with talented people. You, Irene, Susan, you guys were the hardest workers in the show business. I mean, you really were. I mean, y'all really watched his back and that's really cool that he had you know that support system when in a in a in a in a business that doesn't always 
breed that. Yeah, well, I, I think, um, you know, he had a lot of loyal people around him, and he still does, and the same people, you know, and I think that says a lot about him. Yeah. And I was always so impressed. It's really interesting to me now, you know, as I've been through different careers and different, you know, um, industries or whatever you want to call it, it so floors me when I don't get a returned email or I don't get a returned phone call or whatever the case may be, because I remember Irving, no matter, I mean, he'd get a hundred phone calls at least a day, right? And then emails and other mail, I mean, the whole thing, but everybody got a return phone call and it may not have been directly from him if it was somebody he didn't know but somebody calling maybe about an artist or something and he'd refer it to one of the A&R guys and one of the A&R guys would call that person back but it was like you know it was he was so respectful that way and it just always really really impressed me and I carried that with me throughout my career um because I think that's so important yeah and it's such a simple thing and and it's something in a day of technology now where that can often get ignored and things travel a lot into the abyss. So that's really, it's a great foundation that is probably even more rare now than it was when you, when you first started in the business. Oh, I'm sure. And what's ironic is that there's more technology now to support being efficient and to support being officious and to, you know, return that email, return that phone call. I mean, it's just a lot easier now than it was back then. Yeah, I, I agree, but I think you could also argue the fact that there's so much coming at us at once. Yeah, a lot of content. You know, a lot of content, a lot of, you know, you're getting texts, your phone's ringing, your landline's ringing, your emails are popping up, your Facebook messages are popping up. I mean, there's just so much to try to keep up with. Um, but, you know, I mean, even to this day, if, I'll, if I send out an email to him, I get a response that same day. Well, you know, we were talking, or we are talking about work ethic and how that's formed. How did you earn your first dollar? Like my very first dollar of my entire life. Well, you know, so, uh, other than allowance. Yeah, besides your to allowance. To go fishing for candy. Right. <laughs> yes. How did you like when you first got your job in high school? Because we all worked part-time jobs in high school. No matter what the socioeconomic status, everyone had a part-time job. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. What was your first part-time job with your first dollar? I think my first part-time job. Oh my gosh, it was the gift shop at North Cross Mall called the Gift Source. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. Before it was the Gift Source, it was Whaley's. That's right, Whaley's Gifts. Whaley's Gifts. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I went and I worked, I worked there. Yeah. And so you got to know what it's like dealing with the public right? by working in that situation. Right. How was that? Interesting. No, it was good. Yeah. I, actually, I actually enjoyed it. It was... Um, you know, I'll tell you, that shop was run by an elderly couple, so it was, you know, a little mom-and-pop place. Yeah. It was kind of boring. Uh, they ended up selling, and then this guy that came in to buy it turned it into the gift source. It was a little more hip, you know, a little more cool for back in the day. Kind of like Spencer's, and, Spencer's uh, gifts. Well, kind of. <laughs> Nothing's like Spencer's <laughs> gifts. Nothing, nothing is, yeah. But Linda worked there. Yeah. You know, Linda, my dear friend. Um <clears throat> Uh, so she worked there with me, and so we had we had a great time. And then even Jan came and worked with us there for a while. Yeah, um, it was Teen Town Central. It really was. And the best part of was when he would make us go out into the mall and sell balloons. Oh, fun! 
that were yeah. already blown up or you had to, yeah. or people no, watch you blow up. them they're up? They're the ones you get at like Party City now, right? Oh, gotcha. So we'd have to stand around and I'm like, okay, but I'm not dressing like a clown. And he would try to get us to dress like clowns. I'm oh like, my. that's not going to happen. Wow. That's not so happen. that's a scream. Let me ask you, did the fact that you worked for a mom and pop store, be, considering you were from Texas and Texans are friendly, do you think like that first day that you when you started in the record business and the seat and the CEO walks in and you just say hello do you think that first job influenced that in some way I never really thought about it that way um honestly I, I, I've always said hi to everybody okay. so well being you know? raised right helped yeah right I mean because your parents are friendly people and that's fun yeah I mean y- you know Texans seem to do really well out in LA and my guess is it is because we're friendly, nice, sincere people. And we will talk about that friendliness when we come right back with Jill Skinner, right here on Success with Stuff. Mm-hmm. 